Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to today's guest speaker, Chris Dew, for this week's message. What is up, Vineyard Church? I'm glad uh, that you're at church this morning. I'm glad uh, to be with you. It's always an honor uh, to be with uh, the Vineyard family. Um, And this week, man, we are in uh, at least week number three of Spirit Realm. Um, And when I get uh, the call from Chris Figaretti, uh, it's always enjoyable to hear the topic that I'll be preaching on. And he said, hey, man, I want you to teach on Satan and the uh, demonic realm. So that's my topic this week. Um, And honestly, I'm really excited uh, to jump in uh, to it. So let's pray together. If you wouldn't mind uh, just praying with me and then we'll jump into the, the message. Heavenly Father, and it, it's an honor uh, to be um, able to teach your word this morning, to be able to hear your word. Um, and I just pray that you would um, just really move in powerful ways in our time together. Uh, would you draw us closer to yourself? Would you change our hearts? Um, and God, would you open our eyes uh, to the spiritual realm that's all around us? and help us uh, to live um, in light of those uh, realities. Uh, We love you, Jesus. Uh, Would you save souls uh, this morning um, as we hear your word, and uh, would you change our hearts? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, When I was in high school, I was an emo kid. And I don't know if you guys can picture that, but had hair all up in my face. It was really long. I listened uh, to hardcore screamo music where the people, you know, screamed and stuff. Um, I had eyeliner on oftentimes. I was even in a band. Uh, I had skinny jeans. I haven't changed that yet. But, I mean, I was, I was emo to the core. And as you can imagine, uh, that wasn't one of the cool kids or the popular kids. I played hacky sack at lunch, if that gives you any picture of who I was. Uh, Anyways, I was at school one time. I think I was in the 10th grade or something, and it was uh, the lunchtime. And I'm hanging out in uh, the lunchroom, kind of near the popular kids and the athletes and stuff like that. And I feel a plastic, uh, I think it was a plastic bottle, hit me. And I was like, oh, plastic bottle hit me, doesn't matter. I threw it over my shoulder. And about three seconds later, I am up in the air, flying in the air, and then I get slammed down on the lunchroom table. And what had happened, as I threw the plastic bottle over my shoulder, um, it had hit one of the popular kids who was uh, really jacked. He played all the sports and stuff. And it had hit him and he came around and he picked me up in the air and slammed me down on the cafeteria room table. And as often happens in public school settings, everyone stopped what they were doing and they went, oh, 
It was one of those moments that everyone's going to remember, especially me, for their entire lives. And the hardest thing about that was that I did not know I was in that fight. Uh, that I thought I was just hanging out in the lunchroom, eating food, threw a plastic bottle over my shoulder, no sweat, and I did not know that I was in a fight up until he picked me up and I slammed my head down on that lunchroom table. And I think for a lot of us uh, that that's how we are spiritually, that we're in a spiritual battle. It's clear all the way through the scriptures and, and all the way through history that we are in a spiritual battle. But I think that oftentimes, even Christians and Christ followers, that we um, just kind of think that we're not in a spiritual battle. I mean, then we get slammed down on the table and we're like, what happened to me? Why did this happen? But here's the reality that I want to try to get across to us this morning is that we are in a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual enemy who hates us. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to steal from you. It says that in John 10.10. 10. And he explains this, that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And then in 1 Peter, it says this, to be sober-minded. Uh, be watchful, uh, because your adversary, uh, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. There is an enemy, and he's like a roaring lion. He prowls around the earth, trying to devour human beings. And then lastly, in Ephesians chapter 6, it says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Vineyard Church, there is a spiritual enemy. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy from our lives. He's like a roaring lion prowling around, seeking someone he can devour. And oftentimes I think we think it's flesh and blood that we're wrestling up against, but Paul says in Ephesians, it's not flesh and blood. It's Satan and, and, and the spiritual realm out there that wants to destroy our lives. There are spiritual forces of evil in our world. And this looks a lot of different types of ways. That it can look like health issues or spiritual issues or emotional issues or suffering in all kinds of ways. Uh, but there's this quote by C.S. Lewis and he ultimately says that there are uh, two pitfalls or two um, misconceptions about the spiritual realm and about Satan in general. The one misconception is that um, he's irrelevant or he doesn't even exist, uh, that there isn't a spiritual enemy and we're just all kind of hanging out and there's no evil forces. It's all good. It's all love. It's all peace, right? That's one end and that's wrong. Now, the other end of the spectrum is people who say everything's the devil, 
right? It's like, oh, I stubbed my toe. That's the devil. Or, oh man, my hair looks bad today. That, that's the devil. I can't believe he did my hair. Or, or, oh man, I ran out of gas in my car. That's the devil, right? We think everything is the devil. And it isn't either one of those options. The truth is that he does exist. But scripture teaches that he's on a leash. That the God of the universe is sovereign over everything. But there is a spiritual enemy and he is on a leash. That There are probably things that have happened in your life uh, that are caused through spiritual opposition. Uh, but then there's probably other things uh, that we may think is, is, is from the enemy, but it's really that we just live in a fallen world or uh, that we caused it ourselves. There is a spiritual enemy and he is responsible for some of the things that happen in our world uh, but he's not responsible for all the bad things all right, if you have a Bible uh, flip open to Genesis chapter 3 um, and what I want to look at here is the origin of Satan and then also um, how he works in our world. Three of the main schemes he has uh, that we need to be looking out for because we are in a spiritual battle. And if we, uh, it's like any good sports team, uh, that when you're about to play another team and you know, I got to do some research on how they operate and the plays they run and the schemes they have. And that's what I hope this um, scripture does for us here uh, today is that it helps explain, hey, here is how the enemy works. So first, uh, the origin of uh, the devil. Uh, we see uh, that in chapter 1 and 2 of uh, the book of Genesis that uh, the world is created through uh, the Word of God, that He speaks the world into existence. And I, I love Genesis 1 and 2. Man, it is uh, a beautiful picture of uh, the beauty of creation. Uh, that He speaks animals into existence. He makes uh, peacocks and insects and all kinds of cool animals, right? He, it's, it's beautiful. Then he makes humans and, and, and it's awesome that we have this unity with God, this closeness with each other. Um, it is absolutely amazing. And in the course of that time, he also creates angels. Um, and we don't have that uh, clearly accounted for in, in the scripture, uh, but angels are created beings. And uh, he, he speaks them into existence as well. But then in chapter 3, that we see there is a serpent that is evil here. Um, and we get a glimpse of how that happened. Uh, it's in Isaiah chapter 14. And ultimately what it explains is that Satan had been an angel. Uh, he was one of the, uh, the angels that God created. Uh, but he hit a point in his life as an angel where he's like, man, I don't just want to be an angel. I want to be like God. I want to be in control. I'm pretty awesome. I want people uh, to look at me. I know he gets all the credit, but why can't they look at me? Uh, and he pretty much explains, I want to be like you. So he gets cast out of heaven. And uh, it explains in Isaiah 14 that one third of the angels actually follow Satan out of heaven. And that's where we get uh, the demonic realm from. Um, and then we see him pop up here in, in uh, 
chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. And ultimately what we see is that, that he comes up to the woman and the man who was with her and he starts uh, to tempt them. He has these schemes, these three schemes primarily that he tries uh, to get them to turn away from the God of the universe and go into his uh, destruction ultimately. Um, and as I said earlier, we need to know these three schemes because it's the same way he's worked all through history and um, all through our lives as well and how he's currently working right now. So three ways that we need to be aware of how the enemy works. Here's point number one. He redefines what God has said. Uh, we see in verse one through four. Uh, he comes up to the woman and he says, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, no, 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 we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, uh, but he said that you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, or shall you touch it lest you die? Uh, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Ultimately, what the enemy is trying uh, to do here is that he's trying to redefine uh, the rules uh, uh, that the Lord has organized. Uh, the Lord has clearly said that it is not good that you should eat from this tree. All the other trees, it's so good to eat. You enjoy them, you have fun, but this one tree you shall not eat. It's not good for you. It will actually kill you. And the enemy says, no, 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 no. Adam and Eve, listen, you won't surely die. Actually, what God said was a lie. You can eat of this and it's actually going to be really awesome for you. I mean, and we see this all over the place in our day and age, right? That the enemy tries to weasel his way into our world, into our culture and say, I don't think God actually said this about sexuality. I don't think God actually said this about how to treat your spouse. I don't think God actually said this about how to treat your money. I don't think God actually said this. And what the enemy does is he tries to twist the clear things that God has spoken the clear rules, the clear principles that he has said that this is good, this is not good. He tries to twist these things. How he works is that he tries to redefine what God has said. And here is point number two. The second way the enemy um, has a scheme in our life is he tempts us with pride. Uh, that he says in verse number five, He says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God and you will know the good and the evil. He ultimately comes up to Adam and Eve and he says, man, he's holding out on you. The Lord has uh, this extra special stuff. He's holding out on you the good things and you can be in control 
of your life is ultimately what he's saying. You can be in charge. You can be the captain of your soul if you want to. See, it's not good that he's in control, that he's in charge. You should try to take charge of your life. And I think it's really interesting. The enemy says you will be like the Lord, that you'll be like God. But it's clear in Genesis 1 that people are made in the image of God. They are already like him. But he tempts them with a questioning of their identity that they already had. I think it's also interesting uh, that how the enemy got kicked out of heaven was pride ultimately. And he's trying to draw them into the pain that he's in, the destruction that he's experienced. And I know for me that in my addiction days that there was a lot of days where I tried to be in control, that I tried to run my life. And when I was in control of my life, it was out of control. I tried so hard to to manage all the different areas and try to be the captain of my soul and try to rule and reign over my life. And what I realized is that when I was in control, man, that my life was out of control. But this is all over the world today, that people want to be the captain of their own soul, to make their own rules, to, to redefine what is good and evil. And ultimately, they want to be um, in charge of their lives. But the thing I want to point out is that every time we think we're in charge of our own lives, that our lives are oftentimes out of control. But when I placed all my life in the hands of God and said, man, I, I'm, a, I'm a really horrible captain of my soul. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand this over to you. And that's when and I experienced that life that he promises in John 10.10, 10, that awesome life. The three ways the enemy tries to work in our lives and his, his schemes as he redefines what God has said. He tempts us with pride. And then lastly, he leads us to choose the creation over the creator. He leads us to choose the creation over the creator. It says this in verse number six, after the tempting had happened, uh, that the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, that she took of the fruit and ate and also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. This is the main tactic of the enemy, is he tries to hide from you the beauty of the God of the universe. He tries to get you to think that God is non-existent, or he's irrelevant, or uh, that he's just kind of lame and kind of boring, and there's all these rules and stuff like that. He wants you to think. He wants to scheme you into the fact that the creation and, and all the pleasures this world has to offer is way better if it's all by itself and that we don't have a relationship with the God of the universe. He explains this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says this, in this case, the enemy has blinded the minds of the 
unbelievers in order to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I love that verse. That his tactic against us is he wants to keep your eyes from being opened to the fact that God is beautiful. That he is what our souls long for. That it's not the pleasures of this world. It's not the drugs and alcohol. It's not having lots of money. It's not having everything right in the world that's actually going to satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. But rather, it is the person and the presence of the God of the universe that satisfies our soul. His tactic is he wants you to eat the cat food rather than the filet mignon. He wants to hide from you that the filet mignon is on the table. He wants you to choose the cat food. This is the enemy's schemes. He tries to convince you, hey, there's no God. Man, there's no judgment. Man, there's no God. Like you, you just, you do you. You live your life. You live your own life. You be the captain of your soul. You define what is good and not good. And these are the schemes of the enemy. He wants you to have this uh, half-hearted joy when the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore are available in the person and the work of Jesus. Put down the drugs and jump into the presence of God. Put down the greed and jump into eternal riches. Put down you trying to rule your life and turn your life over to King Jesus. He is where the joy is. And as you see at at the end of that story, ultimately, that Adam and Eve fall for it. Uh, They hear the words of the enemy and they end up turning away from the commands of God and saying, actually, I don't know if God actually said that or not. That actually sounds like a better option, what you're talking about. They say, man, I'm going to be like God. Man, I'm going to take you up on that. And, And honestly, He's kind of overbearing anyways. I, I, I'd rather have just the creation as well. And they fell short. And they ended up eating the fruit and there was severe consequences. But then flip open uh, to the temptation of Jesus. Uh, it starts in Matthew chapter 4. And ultimately what's happening here in this scripture is that, uh, that Jesus starts his ministry. He's about 30 years old, and he ends up hanging out with John the Baptist. He gets baptized, and, and uh, the Holy Spirit falls on Jesus. And, and uh, the Scripture says that the Spirit of God leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. I mean, what we see is that in exactly the same ways that Adam and Eve are tempted, that Jesus is tempted in the same way. But here's the cool thing, is that where Adam and Eve fell short and they gave into the temptation, Jesus does not give in. He's tempted by the enemy in the same way, but instead of listening, he responds with truth. 
He says, flee from me, enemy. I'm not listening to any of your schemes because I know who the Father is. And I choose him over all your schemes, all your lies. I'd rather have the God of the universe. And it's, it explains in Hebrews chapter 4 that, uh, that in, in every way he was tempted except yet without sin. Adam and Eve gave in to their temptation, except Jesus did not give in. But after he was tempted, he started his public ministry. And he went around healing people and casting out the uh, demonic realm out of people. The people who were tormented uh, all by Satan and other demons, that he casted out all those demons and that uh, that in a lot of times they were restored to 100% full health. He proved over and over again that he's in control of that stuff. He's more powerful than all that the enemy's schemes have uh, to offer. And then in one last haymaker punch, uh, the enemy comes up with this plan of, man, how we can win this war is that we kill Jesus. That if we can arrest him and, and have him crucified, then everything will be over. And then this little kingdom thing that's happening on earth will ultimately be eliminated and everything will be okay. And as Christ hung on the cross, all the uh, spiritual opposition had a party ultimately. They said, man, we've won. The Son of God is being crucified. We finally won the battle. But you know the rest of the story. He was put in a tomb, but on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the grave, conquering sin and death and Satan. I mean, one of the implications of this, of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus is uh, this thing called Christus Victor. And ultimately what this means is uh, that as Jesus was crucified on the cross and how he rose from the grave, that he was victorious over all the spiritual powers in this world. All the evil spiritual forces, Christ is victorious over them. And that means it has no power over you and I if we're in Christ anymore. Ultimately, that he's a lion, but his teeth have been taken out through the work of Jesus on the cross. And I love the end of the story. Uh, At the end of the Bible, all the way in chapter 20 of uh, the book of Revelation, uh, that we see that the enemy is thrown into the lake of fire, and he will be in eternal conscious torment forever and ever. And all the evil forces in the world will be thrown in there with him, and they will be 100% gone, and there will be no more addiction in the world, and there will be no more pain and suffering and the schemes of the enemy and, 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 and pride and the uh, t- choosing the creation over the creator and twisting the word of God, all that will be eliminated. And for you and I, if we're in Christ, we will rule and reign with King Jesus on earth forever and ever in perfect intimacy. I don't know about you, but I'm excited for that day. But here and now in 2020, heading in to 2021 pretty soon, man, we live in the in-between 
of the already kingdom and the kingdom yet to come. The already and uh, the not yet. That one day the kingdom will be eliminated or the uh, enemy will be eliminated. But right now, he's alive and well still. He's prowling around on earth. He's, on, he's absolutely on a leash, uh, but he still is here. And you and I are still in a spiritual battle that we need to be aware of. But there's three ways that we uh, can ultimately take part in this spiritual battle because he's here and we're in a fight and, and that we need to be able to fight back. So here are the three ways that you and I right now um, are able to, uh, to battle against the spiritual opposition. Here's point number one. Man, we need to stay alert. Stay alert. The scripture that we uh, talked about earlier in 1 Peter says, Be sober-minded and be watchful, because your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We need to be awake and we need to be alert. Oftentimes how the enemy comes is not with a red outfit and horns and a pitchfork. That's not how he works anymore because we'd be like, nah, there you are, stay away. But oftentimes how he comes is like an angel of light. That he comes with an idea that looks right, but it's not the Word of God. He comes with ideas that seem, that makes sense, uh, but it's not Jesus. We need to be aware and alert and awake and every morning put on the armor of God that we're not uh, tempted and led astray. We have to stay alert. And I'll just be honest with you, I've had a few conversations this week with people that aren't Christians, uh, but um, are spiritual. And so if it's for a class project, I've got to interview people that are spiritual but not Christian. And it's interesting uh, to hear their stories and to hear how they've been uh, just kind of deceived into believing uh, this, uh, this uh, spiritual stuff that's not in line with the person and the work of Jesus. And I think it's interesting how the enemy oftentimes works as he gives us a counterfeit version of the beauty of God. That there is power in uh, the spiritual opposition stuff, except it's a counterfeit power of the real thing. And we've got to be alert and we've got to be aware of these things or else we're going to get drawn into um, his schemes. I mean, we have to stay alert. Here's number two. Submit to God and resist the devil. Here's a promise uh, that's found in James 4, 7, that if we submit ourselves, therefore, to God and resist the devil, it says, here's the promise, he will flee from you. As we lay our lives down at the feet of Jesus and say, hey, you can have every piece of this. And every time we see the enemy coming, that we give him the stiff arm and say, no, I'm, I'm running away from that. The promise of the Bible is that he will flee from us. So here's my question to you this morning. 
what part of your life is not surrendered to Jesus? Man, what part of your life is not surrendered to Jesus? It's how the enemy works as he comes through the spaces in our life that aren't surrendered. The promise of the Bible is if we will submit ourselves to King Jesus and resist the devil, that he will flee from us. And then lastly, and, and I think this is my favorite, sling your sword. Sling your sword. Explains in Ephesians chapter 6 that we have a weapon that we can use against the spiritual forces and, and the spiritual opposition. And it's the Word of God. This is the sword of the Spirit, is what Paul says. We have a sword, and I want to just encourage us. Let's spend some time in this book, a lot of time. Like, let's put this way down deep in our heart. Like, let's not just go about life like, yeah, I go to church on Sunday, and then I kind of do what I want. No, no, no. Let, let, let's, let's every day, let's jump into this. Let's, let's hide these scriptures in our heart. Let's live according to the word of God because there is a real spiritual enemy. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy from you and I, but there is victory in Jesus. You have access to all the armor in Jesus. You have access to the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. So let's spend time in this. Let's pour ourselves out for the person of Jesus and His work. Let's, man, let's pray without ceasing. Let's, let's live lives that are all in for King Jesus. And I love how we talked about how uh, that Jesus has all authority over all the spiritual opposition. And then we see that he hands that authority over to his closest followers and says, hey, now you guys have authority over the uh, spiritual opposition, Satan and the demonic realm. And the cool thing, it's a spiritual reality, is that if you're a believer in Jesus, you also have that same authority. The same power that raised Christ from the dead literally lives inside of you if you're in Christ. You don't have to give in anymore. And you don't have to be scared of the demonic realm either because perfect love casts out all fear and you've experienced perfect love in the gospel. He who lives in you is greater than he who lives in the world. You are more than a conqueror through Christ who gives you strength. We are in a spiritual battle. The enemy has schemes that we looked at. He questions the Word of God. He, he tempts us with pride. He leads us to choose the creation over the Creator, the cat food over the filet mignon. But Jesus conquered the enemy. He is victorious. And he, he invites you and I into that victory. And how we do battle is we got to stay alert, stay awake, stay aware. Hand our lives over to Jesus and say, hey, I submit my life to you. I'm going to resist the enemy. And then we can sling our sword through prayer and through the word of God. 
uh, let's pray real quick, if you don't mind. And, um, and I just want to give you a chance uh, to respond to the message that we just heard. Heavenly Father, I pray that you do what only you can do now. That for the people who are spiritually oppressed or feel spiritually attacked, uh, that the enemy would be cast out. He'd be cast out. He has no place in our lives. God, I pray that you would just encourage people that have an area of their life that is not all the way submitted uh, to you, that they would um, uh, repent and that they would give that part of their life over to you as well. And I pray for the people that aren't yet believers, uh, that they've experienced the, the kingdom of darkness and, and that they have uh, been ultimately uh, just kind of lied to and led into this kingdom that is not of you, God. And I pray that you open their eyes right now to the fact that there is another kingdom and it's your kingdom, Jesus, and your kingdom is where life is. With all heads down and all eyes closed, if you're listening to this um, and you're one of the people that is a Christian um, or you're not sure if you're a Christian or not, but you know that you are in a spiritual battle uh, and that you're being spiritually attacked in some way. Uh, and maybe you even have played a part in it and allowed it. I want to encourage you uh, to reach out to someone. Have them pray for you. Expose that stuff that's happening. Because in Christ, especially with other people in, in the community, in the body of Christ, we have the authority over that stuff. You don't have to live like that anymore. And for the people that are listening right now that you would say, man, I'm not a Christian yet. I'm not a Christian. I've been living in this other kingdom for so long and I've experienced the, uh, the destruction and the emptiness that's there. And I've heard about Jesus here today and I want to come into that kingdom. How can I do that? What happens through placing your faith in Jesus? There is a God. He loves you. He made you to have a perfect relationship with Him, except through our sin, we are separated from the God of the universe. And we're left with this emptiness, this hole in our soul that we try to fill with all kinds of different things. And He's a holy God and His wrath is on all sin and that ends poorly, mainly hell forever. Yet the best news in the universe is that He's also a loving Father. And He loves you and I so much that He sent His Son Jesus here to live a perfect life in our place, to be crucified on the criminal's cross, hop up from the grave, and He conquered sin and death and Satan and shame and everything. And the Scripture says that, uh, that if you'll place your faith in Him, if you say, God, man, I, I've, I've been trying to run my life, except I, I haven't been doing a good job. I want to place my faith in you. The Scripture says that He welcomes you with open arms. And in that moment of you turning from your sin and placing your faith in Jesus and say, I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life, that all your sin is forgiven. And it's, it's absolutely true that you are transferred into the kingdom of Jesus where you will live for eternity and eternal life. If that's you, uh, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. It isn't the prayer that saves you. It's not if you get all the words right, then you're a Christian. But it's rather, it's a posture of your heart. It's you choosing, hey, I'm, I'm going to place my faith in Him. I'm turning from my old life. 
Um, you don't have to pray exactly what I'm praying, uh, but if you're in that moment right now, uh, you can pray something like this. Heavenly Father, man, I need you to save me. I know I can't live this life all by myself anymore. I know I'm a sinner and I know I can't save myself. But I believe that You can, Jesus. I believe You lived a perfect life in my place. That You were crucified on a cross in my place. That You rose from the grave. And I want to place my faith in You right now. I turn from my old life and I put my trust in You. Save me now. If you just prayed that, uh, then a host is going to come up on, on the screen in just a second and explain how you can let us know. But we're so proud of you. Vineyard, I love you guys so much. Um, I'm honored as always uh, to get to be with you. And um, I hope you have a great Christmas. And I will see you soon. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.